Welcome everyone. There is um, a brief um, verse or chant that we offer uh, in our practice discussion groups, which is based on um, one that we use at Appamata and in other uh, Zen temples when we're offering the dedication of the merit of our practice. It's a little bit different and I just want to repeat it so you can hear it uh, as we um, prepare to, to sit <clears throat> and let reflect on this as we as we sit. Here are the, the words, may all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. May the merit and virtue of this group along with our everyday practices, extend to all beings everywhere. May all be relieved of suffering, free from fear, longing, aversion, and ignorance. And may the way of awakening go on endlessly. May all awakened beings, may all of us, may all of you, may we extend with true compassion our luminous mirror wisdom. May the merit and virtue of this group, may the goodness, may the good heartedness and the wisdom of this meeting today online, 
along with our everyday practices, whatever they might be, may all of this intention embodied in action extend to all beings everywhere, all included, no one missing. And may all be relieved of suffering. And relieved in, in what way? To be free from fear. Free from excess longing, aversion, and of course free from ignorance. And may that freedom and this way of awakening go on endlessly. And it goes on endlessly because we practice what's been transmitted and we practice that which we've been entrusted with. Which is the faith that our true compassion and luminous mirror wisdom is our nature. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, 
I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's wonderful to see all of you, of course, and to see people continually to arrive. <clears throat> uh, previously on Inquiry, you know, in these series we have in the beginning, previously on whatever the show is, Todd was speaking to us about the, the question that we've been addressing over the last several months about transmission and entrustment. What is it that's transmitted? And he offered us a beautiful line, which many of you may be unfamiliar with, which comes from an ancient text that we chant in the Soto lineage a lot, uh, called A Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. Uh, it's one of the English translations. And the first line which Todd uh, recited was, the teaching of thusness has been intimately communicated by Buddhas and ancestors. Now you have it, so keep it well. So that first line, first couple of lines may sound, of course, odd and strange Zen language or something. The teaching of thusness has been intimately communicated by Buddhas and ancestors. Now you have it, so keep it well. This thusness, you know, throughout the, the longer piece that one would read if you went further, it's not required for us. <clears throat> it doesn't say what's been intimately communicated by Buddhas and ancestors are the teachings of how to have a happy life, harmonious relationships, or adjust to society. Although each of these things is completely supported and encouraged by the teachings. But that's not what the line says. Buddhist teachings that have been carried forward by our Buddhas and our ancestors and Zen practices are the teachings of thusness, which is not a word we use. It's actually in the dictionary. It's not a made-up word. And it suggests something uh, of re reality or the way things really are. They are thus, it's this way. It's the nameless and characterless reality in its ultimate nature. Just this, this whole business, the great matter. This is what uh, we're oriented toward. So if this has been transmitted as if all of creation, if you want to use that word, all of reality, everything has been given to us. And the teachings that help us remember and be intimate with everything, with reality, is what's been communicated. And how do we then keep what's been given to us? what's been transmitted to us, what's been entrusted to us. How do we come to know the actual nature of our mind and express it to the world for the benefit of all beings? This is at the heart of the Buddhist teachings and Zen practice. Several weeks ago, Suzanne spoke about refuge and, and care, about always returning to the triple treasure, to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, always returning. Uh, returning to what? The, thus, the reality expressed by awakened beings, expressed by awakened teachings, expressed by kind and care relationships, so that we're able to transmit our heart to each other. So what is it? What do we trust? 
Joel spoke about gratitude and allowing ourselves to be touched by what is being transmitted by our teachers, our friends, our family. Who do we trust? And Todd asking that question, what's being transmitted or entrusted and how do we keep it well? How do we trust? Who do we trust? What do we trust? How do we trust? It's interesting because as I was looking over my final few notes and jottings about today, an email came from uh, Upaya, the Zen Center in Santa Fe. Some of you may get those those emails with some announcements of different Dharma talks. And one of them was from um, uh, the great contemporary teacher and a good friend of ours here who teaches in, in Hawaii, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, who's teaching on uh, the Shinchen Ming and other ancient texts some of you might be familiar with. And the title of, uh, it caught my eye because her first, the first initial title was Faith Beyond Duality. Faith beyond, like faith in or not faith in that, beyond duality. Or trust in mind beyond duality. So it's important to remember that these are spiritual or religious teachings. I'll use that word, some people balk at it, but, but these are spiritual or religious teachings which overturn the self-centered life. And we're given practices which are radically reorienting and in the process profoundly liberating. But they're not problem-solving strategies. They're not a new set of how to navigate a self-centered life. They're not strategies to help us simply feel better. It's a overturning of a self-centered life and a radical reorienting towards a profoundly liberating possibility. They point to the ultimate truth, these religious or spiritual teachings, to the ultimate truth beyond all personal strategies and deeply transform all strategies beyond self-improvement and comfort and settle us into the midst of life as it is. What we just chanted, a formless field of benefaction, thusness. And this is important to remember what these teachings are and what they aren't. Um, only because they're all encompassing. But if we lose the heart of it, we begin to attempt to make the teachings into some new self-improvement strategy, some curative fantasy, and lose the profoundly liberating potential in the teachings. And we've been weaving these two words, entrustment and transmission over the last few months. So I want to weave them together. What is being transmitted? What's being transmitted is trust. A profound faith and trust in the nature of mind as free and liberating. The absolute nature of our mind, the natural status, we that's what's being transmitted, is that trust. And we come to know this in our relationship, certainly. As the late Irish poet John O'Donoghue, who we quote often, wrote, In the human face, infinity becomes personal. So it isn't just philosophical. What is transmitted? Trust. What is being entrusted? Transmission. 
Transmission is, you know, when something is transmitted, it's the commitment to generously offer your life back to life. To, as we say in the third pure precept, to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. To take care of your life, to take care of the lives around you so you can offer your life back to life. What's being transmitted? Trust in your own true nature. What's being entrusted? This transmission of that into everyday life with each other. Now you have it. This is what's already and already true. So how do we keep it well? Well, I want to consider a couple of analogies because it, what I'm saying, I have a lot of faith in and you can tell a lot of energy around because it's so essential. But I want to offer a couple of analogies which maybe help it come to life for, for you. And I'm going to use a couple of analogies that I've heard before, but I heard them beautifully um, explicated by a Tibetan teacher, Yongay Mingyur Rinpoche. Um, and so here's a couple of the analogies I found really useful to help understand this. Entrustment and transmission. The transmission of trust and the trust of in, in transmission. So number, first, let's think about the sun. It's always shining. The immense power and energy is being transmitted across millions of miles of space to warm and energize our planet. An improbable, powerful, vast resource for all of life. One that's come so long before us, estimated maybe four and a half billion years, and will outlast us by spans of time that are inconceivable to us. In our small temporary lives, an estimated seven to eight billion more years before it sputters out. A power that confers and sustains life right here every single day. A source which in many ways is beyond our comprehension in, in so many ways, yet it's always there, which we take for granted unless we get sunburned or it gets covered over. But this is our true nature. Pure awareness, blazingly, steadily present. This is true. Although it's always shining, from our everyday perspective, the sun is often obscured by clouds. We say, oh, it's a sunny day, or it's a cloudy day. Or, my experience is, if you're in England, there's a million ways to say it's going to rain. What we forget is that we can only really see the clouds because the sun is illuminating them. The sun is always shining completely, fully, generously, continuously. No matter our perspective, in the small way. In the same way, our basic nature, our true nature, our natural state of pure awareness is always present. It's never dimmed. It's always there. It is, in fact, what allows us to discern uh, even all of these things that uh, apparently obscure our true nature. You know, our thoughts, our feelings, our inclinations, our fears, our hatred, our judgments, anxieties, beliefs, views, habits. And open and pure awareness is not yours any more than the sun is yours. It's for all of life. And it's not given or taken away by the passing weather or by personal experience. Our experience changes remarkably, of course, that's human life. But primary awareness is always there, unblemished by what might obscure it. And it is pure awareness 
that allows us to actually see the obscurations and then skillfully meet them together. The sun of awareness. Let's use another analogy. Think about a clear ball, like a crystal, and it's completely clear. Then pure awareness is like this clarity. Colorless in itself, but capable of reflecting uh, anything, everything. Your face, other people, walls, furniture, the sky. If, if you moved it around a little, you know, maybe you'd see different parts of the room that you're in and the size and shape and position of the furniture or things. That, that would change. If you took it outside, you could see the trees, the birds, flowers, the sky, whatever appears in the clear crystal, however, are only reflections. They don't really exist inside the ball. Nor do those reflections alter the essence of the crystal. And yet there they are. Similarly, Pure awareness in itself is always clear, capable of reflecting anything, including our misconceptions about itself as limited or conditioned. So just as the sun illuminates the clouds that obscure the sun, pure awareness enables us to experience everyday suffering and their relentless drama of self-centered suffering, self-created suffering, really. All the things that began to separate reality, me versus you, mine versus yours, the, uh, this feeling versus that feeling, good versus bad, pleasant versus unpleasant, a desperate longing for change versus any kind of equally frantic hope for permanence. But without the sun, the pure awareness, we can't see the clouds. Without this reflective quality of mind, we don't discern the play of experience, the beautiful, tragic play of experience of suffering. And the truth of the cessation of suffering, which we often talk about in Buddhist teachings, it's often described as this like final release from fixations, craving, or, or thirst. However, I, I think the term cessation seems to imply something final or absolute. Um, and something different or better than our present experience. It's actually a matter of acknowledging and finding this deep faith in the potential already inherent in us rather than working to find something new or different or better some new conditioned phenomena what's the unconditioned what's the faith beyond duality that reverend angel is talking about so cessation or relief from suffering cessation doesn't mean cessation of experience or all pain it means cessation from reactivity cessation from our habits of reactivity in moments because it will return in certain ways we have these nirvanic moments moments of cessation is it's possible because awareness is fundamentally clear and unconditioned and it's always with us our fear and shame and guilt and greed and competitiveness and, and so on are simply, you know, veils or a cloud. If you had that crystal ball and you, and it was completely clear but could reflect all of the experience and then you covered it with a piece of silk that's colored, everything you saw reflected in it whether you moved it around or not, carried it to different rooms, took it outside, like I said, would be shaded by the color of the silk to some degree. 
And that's a fairly accurate description of conditioned awareness, a perspective colored by ignorance, desire, aversion, a host of obscurations, our habit patterns that may be not in our awareness. Yet these colored reflections, remember, are simply reflections. They're not thus, they're not reality. They're not thusness. They don't alter the nature of that which reflects them. The crystal is still essentially colorless and pure, just like your awareness. Suffering is transmitted, transferred through generations, transferred through relationships, and we literally entrust our well-being to what has been transmitted. We put our conditioning in charge of the care of our lives and our relationships if we're not aware. And we do this while the clarity and brilliance of pure awareness is right with us all the time and available, showing us everyday detail of what's in the way. And this is what we practice to wake up to. We wake up not by suppressing our desires or aversions or fixations or trying to think differently, but rather by turning our awareness inward and examining the thoughts, emotions, and sensations that trouble us and begin to notice them, perhaps even appreciate them as expressions of awareness itself. What else could they be? We entrust then the care of our lives to pure awareness. So if we say it more simply, the cause of the various troubles we experience is the same as the solution. The mind that grasps is the mind that sets us free. It's never apart from us. This is transmission. The realization that we have always had what it takes. And that awareness is always and already free. Our mind and heart is that of a Buddha. We're the same. So we can entrust our lives to this truth, this reality, this awakening, and encourage each other in that entrustment. Help each other and support each other as that transmission. I revisited a piece of writing that I had done a number of years ago when I was in Ireland with Donna Martin, who you've seen here and who's with us today, I think. And we were taking an early morning walk and I was standing on the uh, east coast of Ireland in County Wicklow near Bray and looking out across the Irish Sea, watching the sun come up. And I began to think about the vast horizonless, you could see a horizon, but If my awareness could extend across, I would meet the shore of Wales. And if it went further into the, the moors in Derbyshire, where I'd been walking the week before with Donna and friends, and if it went further, you'd meet the English Channel and then the Netherlands and on into the continental Europe and, and on and on. But that's our awareness, this horizonless intimacy that's available to us. And with that open heart and that clarity, I looked over and Donna looked at me and in each other's face, everything was there. Total freedom was, as O'Donohue said, that infinity or the absolute becomes quite personal in the human face. So let's turn our faces to each other. And out of these, I know there may be sometimes difficult and profound, but essential teachings of what this practice is about. Please bring me your questions, the things that you'd like to uh, uh, to discuss. Hi, Joan.
Hello. Your teaching was so profound. Uh, and my question uh, is diminished from it, but uh, in comparison to it, uh, but I come forward anyway. Um, the chant that you shared with us that you do with your practice discussion groups is so magnificent. And mm -hmm. I would really appreciate it if you would share it with the listserv. And um, what I saw from that uh, was I just love being with, dealing with, um, living with the people of Afamata because mm -hmm. we all come from the same ethical base and we are so loving and careful with each other. And I'm sure the other Sanghas uh, that are here today feel that way. And I saw from that verse, <laughs> the wild idea of being that way with all the world. You know, I, I feel so safe with Apamata and that I know we are all coming from this. And if ever there is a time that it doesn't happen, then we can talk about it and work through it. But mm -hmm. what if this happened with the rest of the world? So that was. Yeah, and it's not even what, it's not even what if it is happening, isn't it? And my question, and I see my internet. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so my question is very uh, specific, and it is that I have heard over and over again and always wondered about that beautiful phrase, luminous mirror wisdom. And I wondered if you talk about luminous mirror wisdom. I, I, I grasp luminous wisdom, but it's luminous mirror wisdom. Well, what do you see in a mirror? What does well, it mirror do? I see a, re a reflection of myself. Okay, and if you turn it outward? Rather, if I turn it outward, I don't see. Well, and so this is the issue. You're still thinking of your perspective, not the mirror. I see myself. I don't see anything. Be the mirror. What does the mirror reflect? everything what is the what does the mirror reflect it reflects everything all the time that's all it does it's like the crystal it's reflective and wisdom is always reflective and only reflective it shows us the way things actually are it's not now i see it now i don't and it illuminates this kind of wisdom illuminates like the sun it shows us everything. Thusness, the way reality, apart from my perspective, reality like it is. And then we interpret it and we meet it from our perspective, which shows us something about ourselves. Where we're free, where we're caught, where we long, where we're generous to others. It's a, it's a wonderful question and precisely about these teachings. You said it was diminished by the, the potency of the teachings, but it's precisely those. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good evening, Richard. Yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking about mirror. And that's like what our brains are like, isn't it? Um, because our minds make up everything that we're seeing around us and they're coming through the senses. And, and that's mm -hmm. when you're saying the cloth over, that's like the stories we tell ourselves and it sort of colours the reality and we're not seeing it clearly as it is. Um, that's what I was thinking, because that's, that's how the mind works, I think. The brain does literally, doesn't it? It just puts everything together, so. Yeah. Like yeah. It's... Um... It's a, it's a miracle, really, and quite remarkable that we can um, be with each other in ways and be with the world in ways through our senses, which is this glorious thing. But because we're such vulnerable creatures, 
and we depend so much on others uh, for love, for care, for security, things like that, that we can, these things can get distorted. And uh, we, because we become fearful or we long for something we don't have or we have to protect ourselves from pains that we shouldn't have to face, you know, or even worse, trauma, which we then carry in our body, which like fractures the crystal a little bit or distorts it. Maybe that's not a good example, but so, yeah. And we continue to come uh, along with each other to help each other um, remember who we are and remember yeah. our hearts. Thank you so, so much. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Flint, I wonder if it'd be okay if I raise my hand while we wait for someone else. Come oh, I was just going to ask you. Uh, I was I was about to say I'm going to start calling on you now. And I and I thought, oh, Jessica, why don't you speak? Okay. Um, as as you were uh, giving the Dharma talk today, the the first line of the Heart Sutra kept coming to mind, and I wondered. Um, it felt like that's that's partly what that means as well um just Let's the very it. beginning okay um avalokiteshvara bodhisattva when deeply practicing prajnaparamita clearly saw that all five skandhas are empty and thus relieved all suffering and i thought oh the skandhas are empty kind of like this clear crystal empty mm -hmm. and and you've talked a lot about this in past inquiries and um I just wondered how, you know, pulling those two things apart or putting them together a little bit more. Yeah. Well, if you think Avalokiteshvara, who's the Bodhisattva of compassion, is practicing Prajnaparamita, is practicing wisdom. It didn't say Manjushri is practicing. Avalokiteshvara is practicing wisdom and clearly saw that the ways that Richie's talking about, the way that we put together reality, are just a bunch of colored silk cloths that shape a reality that then we respond to based on our vulnerabilities, ignoring the fact that there's some clarity in there. Now, of course, we have to respond to these things. I'm not saying we should ignore her. That's because our true nature wouldn't do that. We say, oh, this is suffering. It needs to be addressed. So Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when practicing deeply, Prajnaparamita, wisdom, clearly saw that all five skandhas, all the ways we put together the thing, are empty of individual existence, empty of any essential, and thus relieved all suffering. Because suffering is the attachment and belief that all those things are ultimately real. They are, they are conventionally real, sure, you hurt, you have struggles, but they're not ultimately real. And that freedom of mind, that clarity of mind that we wake up to is the light that illuminates the everyday struggles. So they can, you can soften the unnecessary part. We can soften our difficulties. Not become some strange creature that's untouched by life. It's not that at all. But that we can step beyond the way that we're caught in the self-centered dream, we call it, or the illusion or the intoxication of our conditioning. So we have maybe a few moments of freedom, a few moments of not being caught in reactivity. That would be pretty good. So is that touching on what you're, you're curious about? Is it echo what was your intuition? Yes, thank you. That really expounds on it quite a bit because skandhas has just been a hard word for me. And I, you know, like you can look up the definition, um, but really, I mean, when you said that about the silks, it's just, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not a technical definition, but hopefully it's a functional one because that's what's important. Yes. How can yeah. we actually use these teachings to support ourselves and each other? Uh, in awakening. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of philosophy or something. And that's not my intention at all. But my intention is for the teachings to be strong enough and powerful enough to penetrate 
the pretty stubborn sense that this is all about just fixing my little dream and ignoring the beauty that's all the freedom that's all around us and available to to illuminate that dream and help us open it as the, the this amazing life that we are and have and can share with each other thank you, thank you. hi bridget hi flint well i've been literally caught in a self-centered dream this morning i woke up after not having a great night of sleep but i apparently eventually fell asleep enough to actually dream but i was so relieved when i did wake up because i was basically recreating in this dream a sense of um, frustration and vulnerability at a time <clears throat> when my husband was alive and we were working with this couple in massachusetts and i i realized i'm still harboring some levels of anger and resentment against him but in this case in this dream it was against my deceased husband thinking he was must have been in collusion with mm. him not letting me know about certain things and decisions that were made about the properties we were dealing with and i i find myself realizing that it is a relief to be awakened <laughs> um but i'm wondering the times when i'm not cognizant and not when it's not so apparent to me how i'm holding on to uh, fierce feelings towards people that, you know, I mean, I haven't seen that couple in 14 years. So it seems strange that this would arise again. Well, you know, day to day, you're probably not thinking about it or even processing it. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows what the trigger was uh, for somewhere deep inside to bring it forward and to let you know that, oh, there's something here that's incomplete. And uh, something I need to maybe set down, mm -hmm. to let go of, right. to realize it's actually not happening any longer. Right, and it and it's creating that, you know, optional suffering. But the part of you, using that language, that part of you that still holds on, mm -hmm. maybe tucked away, has come forward because it wants Fever. your compassion, okay. it wants your attention. So it's not about turning toward that couple or anything. It's turning toward that part of you that holds the un unhappiness and the suffering. Turn toward the suffering, not the story. Okay. All right. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So it's like, look, see what's being illuminated in the mirror and turn toward that. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Got to unmute myself, rookie error. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about transmission. Well, I was kind of thinking about it because I'm in a situation at the moment where there's a lot of things being transmitted <laughs> towards me, if you like, that are quite difficult. And you know, when people are quite poorly and quite ill, um, the the transmission, the distortions of what's being transmitted towards you. Because I think I think the transmission is negative and positive. But actually, it's all it, it's all food. It's all kind of great soil. And I was just thinking about this when people are ill and that volume gets turned up and then the volume in me turns up. It's kind of like um, that it awakens so many different parts of me that then I can it kind of invites it all to come up. My conditioning, my reactions, everything, you know, whatever, whatever kind of reaction I'm having comes up for me to look at. So it's not just like wonderful transmission and beautiful teachings. It's kind of everything's a teaching. It's like, and it was reminding me of a section out of the Bodhisattva vow that mm. always brings me back when things are really difficult and the family get poorly and things get negative. It reminds me of, um, shall I just read the little section that, that I'm thinking of? Cause I think it's, it's, um, even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. If by any chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language in the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers, it's this line, that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one who use, who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves 
by our own egotistic delusion and attachment. And that really holds me throughout all kinds of, you know, when things start to raise up and like this week, I'm doing all kinds of, of help for them, you know, and they're just getting angry because it's not quick enough. It's not fast enough. It's not. And, it, and it's so it could be so easy to get caught up in their in their kind of manicness, in their um, disgruntledness and react to that from a place of just the same energy. And it, and it and it's a real opportunity for me to just really open up and and to really sit with it. But it can be so difficult. I mean, this week I'm finding it particularly difficult because it's really heavy. The volumes turned up from them and and to kind of it can be difficult to sit with it as a as a teaching. Well, that's the edge of practice, isn't it? And you're familiar, very, very familiar because you've done so much training in Hakomi that in a way, I'm, I'm making it a little too simplistic here, but in a way what you're talking about is what it's like when you meet a probe. Mm. That if you're in a mindful state, if you do practice and you're met with something, you notice what comes up in response. It's yeah. actually so in the second noble truth, Samadaya, the Buddha said, dukkha happens, things happen, and then we have responses. And our job in practice is to reflect on those. And so you're, you can either see these things as problems only, they are problematic, that you should get rid of, or you can see them as opportunities. Yeah. The Dharma gates. Yeah. And you also mentioned these parts of you that come up. When people come at us with their various manager parts, it's going to call forward parts in us. But if we offer our true nature, there's a possibility that we invite true nature back or loving presence. So you know about all these things. And so what I hear you saying is, is that you're seeing how it's playing out in the difficulty that is real and around you. And of course, we have to deal with it. Um, but the transformational possibility when we trust mm -hmm. In that deeper place, which Tori Zinji is writing about in the Bodhisattva Vow, we trust in that. And what we can transmit to others is that you realize, oh, well, you can trust it too. We can learn to do this a different way. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that that's why you keep showing up and helping us. <laughs> it's because you're committed mm -hmm. to supporting people and having the opportunity uh, mm -hmm. to experience this luminous mirror wisdom that gets reflected. Yeah, and there's something so important about, like, I can feel the pain and tensions of this week right here. And there's something so important about sitting with it and giving it oxygen and giving it space and creating space for others to feel their pain mm -hmm. and, and to hold it in a way that's, that's not aggressive or confrontational, in a way that's compassionate so that they can begin to open up their pain too and it doesn't just become a tormentor because it can just stay can it? it can be raised up and just stay the tormentor and nothing else happens and that's not healthy there's another piece because you're speaking about your generous uh, way of offering this to other people but maria you also have to receive the care that comes toward you mm. and let yourself be taken care of because you're yeah. so used to being in the caretaking role you also have to allow the vulnerability of you to stand up so that someone can turn to you. I just saw Catherine, for example, shaking her head when I said that. <laughs> because, you know, she Hi, knows herself. <laughs> and, uh, and I think she was just uh, assenting to what I was saying about we are, we, it's, it's a two-way street. You put a mirror in front of a mirror and they reflect each other. And it has immense depth. Suddenly it looks like it's infinite. It's another analogy. Like our minds, we see the infinity when we turn toward each other and open up. Like I was talking about when Don and I had that more moment of just meeting each other. Mm. So, and it you. can be so hard, can't it, to kind of like be there for other people. Like I'm so good at like their sort of aspects of themselves that, that you might class as negative or difficult or, you know, and giving compassion and space to that. But when my reactions come up, it's it, it can be difficult, can it, sometimes to actually give yourself that compassion, the same sure. amount of compassion to those parts that, you know, that really need you to do that. That's why you have to uh, practice patience. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A continuous practice. 
<laughs> and nothing's personal. That's my mantra. <laughs> it's nothing's personal. Keep going back to that. <laughs> See, Becky has her hand up. There you go, Becky. Hi. <laughs> when you were just talking about that, it, I just, I, what happened for me when you were talking with Maria was, was thinking about in the meta chant that we say of may our hearts be open mm -hmm. and that one of the things that happened for me recently was was recognizing that when I had been saying it I it had to do with what I bring to others mm -hmm. but similarly it is a two-way process in so many ways and um I've observed among my Sangha family um, that, that a lot of us have trouble, for instance, when people try to say something to us that is their observation or, or their experience of who we are in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And that it's a hard one for people to mm -hmm. take in, um, you know, and, and so I just, I just, Ted, like that, I just want to say thank you. It was, you know, another little piece that sort of fell in here because it is so interrelated with, with that aspect. There's like, there's self-compassion, mm -hmm. but there's also the receiving of compassion and appreciation and mm -hmm. so on that's around us. And well, th that's very, very rich. Our hearts are sometimes so tender. It's not that we don't want that goodness, but it's uh, it almost feels like pain to receive it because of the tenderness, not because it's difficult or problematic. I remember one time uh, asking Ron Kurtz during our training why when such the opening did happen and we receive this goodness, why we often cry or feel a kind of... Um, it doesn't necessarily feel good, although it's something we want. And I'll never forget, and I've, many of you have heard me say this, he says the opening through which the love goes in is the same opening through which the pain can come out. And we both long for that and fear it a little bit because then, then we're revisiting it again. But that's the, that's the point of transformation. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. That's good. I'm so glad you mentioned that. May our hearts be open, not just to others, but may our hearts be open to receive. And hopefully many of you have received uh, the loveliness of, of Becky and each person who's spoken today. Because in the face of these uh, people, infinity, the, the strong teachings that I was offering become personal, become alive. And so let's... Uh, uh, recite the four practice principles that help us remember this whole sequence. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way And I will make sure that I put the initial dedication chant. Um, I'll give it to Cassie and she'll put it with the recording. So you'll be able to access it and see it uh, again. Thank you, Jessica. Appamada's programs and teachings and facilities are thanks to all of you and your incredible generosity. Thank you so, so much. What you do makes a difference. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can do so on the website at appamata.org uh, to Flint or any of the teachers. Um, just make sure and indicate that there on the form. Thanks, everyone.
Well, Maria, should I uh, hand you the remote control? <laughs> Please uh, feel free to stay after for uh, after inquiry and get a chance to talk with everyone. Maria will be hosting. <laughs> 